What's up, gang? Um, man, long time uh, no see. I haven't recorded one of these in like uh, since July, maybe or maybe August. Actually, I've had this script written up for for this. I did like the research for this one. Um, maybe in August, but and I even recorded it and I recorded the piano and stuff. But then, like last week or a couple weeks ago, when I was gonna um upload it i listened to the recording and died of cringe so here i am re-recording this stuff but anyway thanks so much for joining today we're talking about an absolute legend mozart and his piano sonata number five in g major um so yeah let's just get into it anyway mozart he's obviously one of the most famous if not the most famous composer of ever he was born on January 27th. Uh, that's a significant significant date in my family because it's my mom's birthday, actually. Um, but Mozart, unlike my mom, Mozart is a boy and also was born in 1756 and in Austria. But you've probably heard the stories. Mozart, he's like this crazy, outrageous child prodigy. Uh, when he was three, he started playing tunes on the piano. Uh, he was learning really, really fast, and he started composing music just when he was six. And actually, Mozart's dad, Leopold, and his little sister, they were pretty good musicians, uh, but not nearly as gifted as Wolfgang Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. So Mozart's dad, Leopold, he was a violinist in a court in Salzburg, Austria, but he wasn't that successful as a musician. So when he saw Mozart's, like, this amazing talent, he really jumped on it and, and really took advantage of his skill. So when Mozart was six, his dad took him on the road and they went on tour. They visited all sorts of like courts and governments and schools and really showed off Mozart's skills. Uh, his dad would like, I read something that said his dad would like make him do all sorts of tricks. You know, he'd play like the clavier, like this old style of piano with a cloth over it. He'd sight read things and he's, and he would improvise just to kind of show off that he really knew his stuff and that he really was a skilled musician. And on their tour, people really ate that stuff up. Uh, they, they loved Mozart, but he had the chance to meet all the big names in music at that time. And he really soaked it all up. Um, Mozart, he especially admired uh, Haydn, the composer Haydn. And Haydn even said once um, about Mozart, he said, I love him too much. So, I mean, this is just when Mozart was young, but then later on, he and Haydn actually developed a really close uh, relationship. But uh, Mozart's childhood stardom wasn't so good for him. Like if you think of Shia LaBeouf or other child actors, um, they're often exploited and it messes up their lives. It messes up their childhoods. Um, if you think of how many kids from Disney shows like uh, turned out to be weird and crazy, there are a lot of them. For real, the only normal ones are Wendy Wu and Zach and Cody. But uh, Mozart was kind of like this. Uh, he was such a bright musician, but in other, aspect, other aspects of his life, pretty childlike. He was pretty bad at managing expenses, uh, acting maturely, kind of managing himself. So so it makes sense that when he grew up, he had a really hard time finding a good and steady job. Um, he was kind of prideful. He was crude. He was kind of raucous. Um, 
and he criticized other composers a lot, but kind of, I mean, based on his childhood and those experiences, who can blame him? And, and he really was like the best by far. Um, but because he was, he didn't have a really successful career right off. His dad was always nagging him to be wise with money and associate with the right people and, and really put himself forward. But, um, Mozart didn't really listen. So his dad probably wanted him to be like a court musician, settle and be a court musician somewhere. That would have been pretty stable. But uh, Mozart wanted a court or a patron that would really give him creative freedom to compose what was actually in his mind. Um, and a lot of the court, like court uh, musician positions, they wouldn't have provided the, um, the liberty that Mozart really yearned for. Uh, in 1777, Mozart and his mom, they went on another really long tour. They went to Germany, and they met this family, the Weber family. And they were just the type of people that Mozart loved, and just the type of people that Mozart's dad would have really disapproved of. Um, but Mozart fell in love with one of the daughters. Uh, her name's Aloysia, Aloysia Weber. But that was kind of cut short, because after he, that, he and his mom, they went to Paris to continue their tour. And actually, when they were in Paris, Mozart's mom got sick and died. So I just can't imagine what that would have been like to be in to be in Paris in the 1700s and your mom just dies. Like, I guess you send a letter back home or something, but just so heartbreaking. So after Paris, I'm sure Mozart was feeling so discouraged. He went back to Germany and he stayed with the Weber family for a while. And the Weber daughter that he loved, Aloysia, rejected him. So he went back to Salzburg in Austria, I'm sure feeling really bitter and really frustrated. So when he got back to Salzburg, he started actually a job as a court organist. Um, but he was still pretty upset, just kind of frustrated with the direction his life was taking. And I mean, he knew that he had this outrageous talent, but he didn't want to squander squander it but he felt like he was uh so in the court he started composing more regularly and had a few more notable pieces he was doing pretty well and he had a commission for an opera but uh a few months later he was fired from that position so he moved to vienna and moved in with a weber family and at this time he fell in love with a different weber daughter this this time with a girl named constance and they were married those two were married in 1782 and at this time, I think Mozart was kind of getting more momentum with his life. I mean, he was in love with this girl and they just got married. Uh, and then after he left Salzburg officially and, and came to Vienna and got married and stuff, that's when most of his best works were written. Uh, more, they're like deeper and more complex. So he's happily married. He was teaching and he had a good share of commissions. So he cranked out like uh, Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, a few others, and he was really in the spotlight. Uh, he even became a chamber composer for the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, but he was kind of mad because his pay was super, super bad. So in this time, the music he created was really some of his best. Um, and actually, you can read, we have like records of some of critiques that he received based on those pieces. Joseph II, this Holy Roman Emperor he worked for, he said that Mozart's pieces... This is a quote. He says, we're too beautiful for our ears. And he said that they had far too many notes, which is kind of a funny um, criticism. 
Other critics, they um, expressed surprise that Mozart had like an endless supply of ideas. Um, one even said that he wished Mozart were not so lavish in using them. And here's a quote. He says, he leaves his hearer out of breath, for hardly has he grasped one beautiful thought than another of greater fascination dispels the first. And this goes on throughout, so that in the end, it is impossible to retain any one of these beautiful melodies. So I really like that quote. I think it's really interesting and kind of shows what were people thinking about Mozart at that time. So, and also, I guess something that may change your view of those quotes. If you think of the times, I mean, now I can listen to anything on Spotify um, and listen to it over and over again. But I mean, in the 1700s, not that much of Mozart's music was even printed or distributed. So for many people, I mean, they'd listen to it once, even if that, and then they would probably never have the chance to listen to it again. And so it makes sense why he would think, why he would kind of complain that he introduces these really beautiful melodies, but then a second later, it's gone and replaced. And it's replaced with something that's nice to listen to, but it's like changing so fast. Um, you can never really get a grasp of, of the beautiful melodies. Um, we don't know a ton about the details about Mozart's finances at this time, but releasing all these bangers probably made him a good amount of cash. Um, but he and his wife wasted it all. Like I said, he wasn't super good at managing money. So in the last few years uh, of his life, he was always asking for loans from his friends and fellow Masons. Mozart was a Freemason. Uh, he composed a magic flute, which was performed in uh, 1791. And then he died of sickness and overwork later that year. So he wasn't given a proper funeral. He was buried actually in an unmarked grave. I don't know if you've seen the movie from the 80s, Amadeus, but it kind of dramatizes Mozart's death. Um, it also exaggerates his competition with another composer named Antonio Salieri, uh, who was a really famous composer of the time. Uh, and the movie kind of shows Salieri being like super jealous of Mozart's skills and Mozart kind of being aloof and kind of goofy, which I guess is true to some extent. But um, actually, a lot of the records we have show that Mozart, there's a probably good chance that Mozart, he was jealous of Salieri and Salieri was, was the real established um, composer and he was older than Mozart. But anyway, well, originally, I had wanted to talk about Mozart's uh, Symphony Number no. 25 in G minor. And it's actually like the main theme of this Amadeus movie. It's like in the title menu on the DVD. They play this, this piece. And it's really awesome. Uh, it's like so awesome and so amazing. It will get you hooked on classical music. Actually, when I... I think most of my listeners here are like maybe some of my friends if they know about this or some of my family. But if you aren't my friend or family, then you probably don't know. I used to live as a missionary in Taiwan. And every morning when I would like do push-ups and sit-ups, I would, most of the time, I would listen to this one Mozart symphony. It's like really a uh, hype. And some of the other missionaries I lived with, they would ask about it and they'd get pretty hyped about it as well. So anyway, yeah, it, uh, it, this is one of the pieces that really got me hooked on, on classical music where I really felt the power. Um, 
and felt like classical music doesn't have to be something that's boring. But I can't, it's really hard to find like a free domain recording that's good of Mozart symphonies. And so instead, I'll talk about uh, one of Mozart's piano sonatas that I've been playing lately. It's a piano sonata in G major, piano sonata number five. So it was first written down in 1774. Uh, at this time, Mozart was 18 years old. But there's a high likelihood that it was written much before then. Um, because like I said, not a lot of Mozart's music at this time was written down or distributed. Um, but I've read a few things here and there, and it seems like uh, a lot of experts, they just say that Mozart's sonatas are like windows into his heart and character. So this one's pretty playful, it's pretty light, maybe a little bit of uh, like mischief in there, but they're still really, really um, powerful and thoughtful. So this sonata in G major, it was written with five other sonatas, and Mozart referred to them as the six difficult sonatas, and he played them often when he was on tour. Some critics of Mozart, they say that his sonatas are like too delicate or too soft and suitable for maybe women to play, which I guess is true. Um, and after Mozart died, his reputation was kind of one as a Rococo composer that made things super light and frilly and kind of hollow. But Mozart, I mean, he has dark and powerful and impending pieces, kind of like Beethoven or any other composer that you normally think of as a real like uh, powerhouse. And because Mozart was a super genius, it's easy to imagine him just kind of like sitting down at a keyboard and messing around and just cranking out these really amazing intricate pieces. But there was a lot more to his musical process. I mean, like I said, when he was on tour, he was meeting with the greatest minds in music of the time. He was associating with all these different composers. He was hearing their works and studying their works and studying their methods and, and really constantly trying to improve his craft. So uh, I mentioned before that Haydn and Mozart were friends and had a lot of respect for each other. And Haydn once told Leopold Mozart, Mozart's dad, he said, I tell you that your son is the greatest composer known to me, either personally or by reputation. Well, I'll play the first movement of this sonata in just a second, uh, but I just want to finish up by saying that Mozart's reputation as like one of the greatest musicians ever to have lived is really well-deserved. I mean, he had outrageous talent, and his contribution to cl classical music has been really remarkable, so... You guys can watch Amadeus if you want to see more about his life. Um, but it really is heartbreaking that his life ended so early. Uh, since he died in poverty, we don't really know where he was buried um, or anything. But yeah, really a solid dude, a solid character in classical music. Anyway, to close, I'll just share one line or one quote uh, from Haydn about Mozart. And this was recorded like 15 years after Mozart died. So Haydn was with some of his and Mozart's mutual buddies, and they started talking about Mozart. And when they started talking about Mozart, Haydn, he just broke down in tears, and he said, Forgive me, I must ever weep, ever weep, when I hear the name of my Mozart. Well, anyway, thanks so much for joining me for today's podcast. Um, I hope you guys have a great winter, and... I love you.